Hello, everyone. Welcome to a breath of fresh earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. Thanks for the nice intro, Steph. Welcome to episode 20. Our top story today is the great Nike shoe spill. The title makes it seem like a lot of shoes fell off the top row at Foot Locker and plunked a few teenagers on the head. It's not quite what happened. In May of 1990, the Hansa Carrier. In 1990, the Hansa Carrier was a container ship headed from Korea to the United States. There was a big storm at sea, and 21 40-foot-long cargo containers fell off the ship into the Alaska Peninsula. Five of these cargo containers contained 61,000 Nike shoes. Each one of them carried a unique serial number. That made it possible later on to identify that they were part of the spill. After hearing about the accident, Curtis Ebsmeyer tracked the movement of the Hansa Carrier spill. He's an ocean scientist. The first 200 shoes arrived at the northern Washington coast around Thanksgiving in 1990, about six months after the spill. Scientists tracked those shoes as they made their way through the ocean gyres. We talked about gyres in episode 12. The shoes headed to Hawaii and then to Japan and then started swirling through the Pacific Ocean again. Lots of puns followed, headlines in local newspapers that read, Thousands of souls lost at sea, but containers spilling into the ocean isn't really very funny. The World Shipping Council is the organization that keeps track of spills from year to year, and they estimated that 350 containers are lost every year at sea. But they don't take into account catastrophic losses. That probably makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. But to be fair, you really need to count all the spills. There have been other spills over the years that receive less notoriety than sneakers, but still deserve our attention. Like in October of 2011, the MV Rena ran aground in the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand. The ship hit a reef near full speed, got stuck, and broke up over the next few months. About 200 tons of heavy fuel oil were spilled in the accident, as well as a large amount of containers. In 2013, the MOL Comfort was 200 miles off the coast of Yemen, suffered a crack at midship and broke in half. The two parts of the ship stayed afloat, with most of the cargo remaining intact. Ten days later, the stern sank to a depth of 4,000 meters along with 1,700 containers and 1,500 tons of fuel. More bad luck followed. On July 6th, a fire broke out on the rear part of the bow section. And four days later, another 2,400 containers were destroyed by the fire. And to make the story complete, five days after that, the bow section sank along with 1,600 metric tons of fuel. Here's a listing of a few other oil spills in the last 40 years. In 1978, the Amoco Cadiz oil tanker ran aground off the coast of Brittany, France, and spilled almost 2 million barrels of oil. Approximately 200 miles of the French coast was polluted by the oil slick, and it killed millions of invertebrates, such as mollusks and crustaceans, and an estimated 20,000 birds. That's more birds that are killed by windmills. In 1979, the Atlantic Empress and the Aegean Captain, two fully loaded oil tankers, collided off the coast of Tobago and spilled more than 90 million gallons of oil into the Caribbean. In 83, the Castillo de Belver exploded and sank off the coast of Cape Town, carrying 250,000 tons of crude oil. 
1998, a fully loaded tanker Odyssey exploded and sank in the North Atlantic off the coast of Nova Scotia, spilling a million barrels of oil. In 1989, many of you have heard of the Exxon Valdez. That hit Prince William Sound in Alaska and dumped more than 250,000 barrels of crude oil into the sea, killing millions of animals and plants throughout the Sound. The accident was considered one of the worst human-caused environmental disasters. A few years later, the ABT Summer exploded about 90 miles off the coast of Angola, spilled its entire cargo of 2 million barrels of oil. Later that year, the Sea Empress went down off Britain's west coast, spilled 70,000 tons of oil. The tanker Erica sank in a storm that December, leaking thousands of tons of oil off the coast of France. The new diamond supertanker, carrying 2 million barrels of oil, caught fire off the coast of Sri Lanka just this past September. We were so worried about the election here in the States, we didn't even hear about it. In 1994, a spill in Russia caused 84 million gallons of oil to spill in the Kolva River. In 92, 285,000 tons of oil was released in Uzbekistan. In 1979, the Ixtac-1 spilled up to 140 million gallons in the southern part of the Gulf of Mexico. And over the next year, oil washed up on the beaches from the Yucatan Peninsula to southern Texas. And of course, BP's Deepwater Horizon in 2010, the largest accidental spill in history in the Gulf of Mexico. The oil platform capsized and sank two days later after the fire. 134 million gallons of oil were released. The world's largest oil spill wasn't an accident. In 1990, Iraq's leader Saddam Hussein ordered the invasion and occupation of Kuwait. One of the goals was to acquire their oil reserves. After a massive war, an air and ground campaign, in 91, Iraqi forces retreated. But while they were leaving, they ignited hundreds of the Kuwaiti oil wells, which burned for months. As long as we rely on oil for so many things, oil spills are just part of life. They're going to continue to happen and poison the water and kill creatures that live in the water. Here's the entire list of large sun spills during my lifetime. Once on vacation, I sat in the sun too long and got sunburned. No fish were hurt during this accident. And once on a vacation, my son developed sun poisoning, but recovered quickly. And again, no animals or fish died in the event. A lesson to remember, always use sunscreen. I started this podcast on my birthday last February 15th. It's also Galileo's birthday. But what is my carbon dioxide birthday? You didn't know that was a thing? If you go to the website co2.earth, check out the CO2 history, you'll find the monthly data for carbon dioxide going back to the late 1950s. The amount of carbon dioxide in the air that month was 316.38. The next time when someone asks me how old I am, I'm going to say 316.38. That ought to get a few weird looks. The real skill is memorizing the charts and being able to tell somebody when their CO2 birthday is without looking up on the website. A personal favorite of mine is 318.71. That's December 1964, the month and year when the Cleveland Browns won the National Football League Championship. Ah, nothing says Cleveland Championship like 318.71. It's extremely unlikely in any of our lives we'll ever return to carbon dioxide levels that low. Maybe during the next ice age. Betty White might still be around, but I won't. We had clean air back then. 350 parts per million carbon dioxide is generally considered the safe line for our carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. When we talked about the great Bill McKibben in episode 15, we mentioned the organization he's an important part of, 350.org. We crossed 350 parts per million back in 86 and hit 400 parts per million in 2014. Last month, we were at 411.29. 
Let's go to our CO2 reporter, Wheezy McWeeklong, fresh off his interview with Melania Trump in episode 19. Wheezy, where are you today? Hi, Rick. I'm talking to you today from India, and the air is terrible. The air quality index is a staggering unhealthy 604. This means that everyone should avoid outdoor exertion and some people may experience serious health issues. This is no joke. It's dangerous. Well, then why don't you get the heck out of there, man? Go to, uh, Strangata, Iceland. The air quality index today is one. One? What? One hundred? Not one what. Just one. You don't have to ask twice. I'll be on the next plane. Wheezy, out. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. I've got some cool climate heroes to talk about today. First up, Will Barrett. He leads the American Lung Association's work in California to help clean the air and climate change policy. Will also serves on the steering committee of Climate Plan and the board of directors for the Center of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Technologies. We need more people like Will, that's for sure. And for you social media types, check out Lila Williamson, who fights for climate justice and ran the election campaign for her father in British Columbia's most recent election. He wasn't elected, but represented the Green Party with honor. Lila's a 16-year-old dynamo working hard in the war on climate change and a member of Sustainabilities, a Metro Vancouver's chapter of Climate Strike Canada. Follow her on Twitter at Lila underscore blue. Look for big things in the near future from Lila. Dr. Elon Tal is a 30-year activist in Israel and chairman of public policy at Tel Aviv University. Dr. Tal is trying to protect Israel's forests and grow their solar energy program. Dr. Tal was one of the first founders in the Israeli Green Movement and in 2019 worked with Benny Gantz's new party, drafting the party's green platform. And lastly, let's head to England and mention Advanced London. Their advisors help businesses innovate circular initiatives as they transform England into a world-leading low-carbon city. They help companies succeed and make the best use of resources in reducing their material impact. They've worked with all plants. They make plant-based frozen meals and plumo. They make thermal packaging material from surplus feathers. And let's not forget Humanity, a company that makes the UK's first chilled, ready-to-drink plant-based teas bottled in recycle, as they would say in Top Gear, aluminium cans. There are dozens of innovative companies taking advantage of the great work from Advanced London. Learning about these climate heroes continues to impress me and gives me confidence that the future looks bright. Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. If there are heroes, you can be sure there are villains. It's widely known that Exxon and Shell knew decades ago about the dangers of fossil fuel, but they ignored the problem because they were making so much money. Now it's clear that Ford and General Motors knew about climate change and covered it up too. Back in the 1960s, they knew emissions were a problem. In 1975, a GM employee told executives that the tiny particles that cars emit could cause atmospheric warming near the Earth's poles. Ditto for Ford. In 1961, physicist Gilbert Ploss predicted human activity could cause a 1.1 Celsius degree rise in global temperature each century. What did Ford and GM do about this? Nothing. Well, just the opposite. They pumped millions of dollars into the Global Climate Coalition, the climate denial group that lobbies against climate action. Ford didn't even bother to try and increase their car's fuel efficiency or develop electric cars. Check out episode 14, where I talk about how Henry Ford and Thomas Edison almost built electric cars for the mass market 100 years ago. Now, both Ford and GM are responding with electric vehicles. Why now? Because of people like me and you, demanding it. Keep it up. We make a difference. 
it's better late than never. Will I consider buying a GM or Ford electric car in the future when my Mini Cooper dies? Absolutely. My heart says it'll be a Tesla, but I've got about three years to see which electric car I'll be buying. By that time, there will be even more great options. Head over to YouTube for a cute but sad video about turtles. Ardman Animations, the same folks that make Wallace and Gromit and Shaun the Sheep, made a short film about the perilous life of a family of turtles trying to find their way home. It's called Turtle Journey and features some famous voices like Dame Helen Mirren, David Harbour, Jim Carter, Bella Ramsey, and Olivia Colman. By the way, Miss Colman starred in the 2011 movie Tyrannosaur. Ah, uh, never mind. That movie's not about dinosaurs. Darn it. You know, I try to mention dinosaurs in every episode, whenever possible, and I thought this was a legitimate tie-in to Miss Coleman. I'm going to need a judge's ruling to see if mentioning the movie qualifies. Since all the dinosaurs are dead, let's save the turtles! You could have been anywhere, but you are here with us. And discover what you can do right now. Let's talk about some cool apps I found. Number one is iRecycle. This app helps you find the nearest recycling options for specific items. You enter your address, zip code, or city, and iRecycle generates a list of recycling facilities nearby for each material you, re- you need. The app is currently available in Mexico, Canada, and the United States. Olio. Olio lets you share and borrow items with other people in your community. This helps reduce the number of new consumer purchases. This is a great app for cleaning products, tools, and much more. Araco helps people understand their impact on climate change. Araco, spelled R-R-O-R-R-O-C-C-O, lets you estimate your carbon footprint based on your lifestyle. Then they give you suggestions on how to improve your score. Waterprint. This app helps you track your water footprint or how much water you use. The app will help you understand the impact of your habits and the things you purchase. Here's a great one. Too good to go. Available in Europe, This app connects over 20 million people with leftover food items from businesses like restaurants, supermarkets, and cafes. Instead of just throwing the food out, the app saves over 100,000 meals every day. Green Choice. This app lets you compare different products at the grocery store or online and see how environmentally friendly your choice is. Paper Karma. I like this one, too. Are you getting too much junk mail? I know I do, especially around this time of the year. Paper Karma is ingenious. Use the app to take a photo of whatever junk mail you no longer want to receive. Use the app to take a photo of whatever junk mail you no longer want to receive. Take yourself off the company's mailing list. Tap. Tap helps you find a refill station for your empty water bottle whenever you're on the go. No need to buy plastic water bottles. Grab your refillable bottle and away you go. Happy Cow. This app helps you find vegan and vegetarian-friendly restaurants all over the world. So there's nine apps that you can check out and improve your carbon footprint and your health. Today is the day we are celebrating you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Wally Brocker was born on November 29, 1931. Sadly, he passed away in 2019. Brocker was an American geochemist. He was the Newberry Professor at the Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences at Columbia University, a scientist at Columbia's Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, and a sustainability fellow at Arizona State University. He won many awards, including the Benjamin Franklin Medal in Earth Science, the National Medal of Science, and the prestigious 
Wollaston Medal Award for Geology, the highest award granted by the Geological Society of London. Brocker popularized the term global warming. He significantly contributed to several fields of ocean and climate-related research. He's the one who introduced the concept of a conveyor belt that connects the world's oceans through heat-driven circulation, and he led the scientific community in using radioactive isotopes of carbon to date the ocean's past. One of his famous sayings was, The climate system is an angry beast, and we are poking it with sticks. In 1975, Brocker published a paper in Science entitled Climate Change, Are We on the Brink of a Pronounced Global Warming? Here's his quote, If man-made dust is unimportant as a major cause of climate change, then a strong case can be made that the present cooling trend will, within a decade or so, give way to a pronounced warming induced by carbon dioxide. By analogy with similar events in the past, the natural climatic cooling which, since 1940, has more than compensated for the carbon dioxide effect, will soon bottom out. Once this happens, the exponential rise in the atmospheric carbon dioxide content will tend to become a significant factor, and by early in the next century, will have driven the mean planetary temperature beyond the limits experienced during the last 1,000 years, unquote. That was 45 years ago, and we didn't listen. We're listening now. I want to thank Steph, Wheezy, and the rest of the crew for helping me with the show. I've reached listeners now in more than 50 countries, and I appreciate the support very much. I'm so glad you've chosen to spend 15 or 20 minutes with me. Please tell your friends about the show. Check out A Breath of Fresh Earth on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, when we talk a lot about the problems facing India, stay safe, a vaccine is on the horizon, and good night, Galileo. And that is it. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been a breath of fresh earth. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.